No crying allowed. It's a crapshoot every morning. <laughs> yeah, crapshoots. They can be a little crappy. <laughs> Come here, work hard, and get paid less. Roll up in a blacked-out suburban. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the feds are here again. Here they are. They wish they were that cool. <laughs> <laughs> if we wanted you to have a wife, we'd issue you one. Kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> it's a crazy, crazy skill that he had, so... Yeah, you're probably not going to get that from me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to assume you have hundreds of compliance officers to help achieve that task. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Floyd, but people crack OSHA jokes around the office every now and then. Do you guys crack OSHA jokes in your office? And are they funny? Because <laughs> I am aware of the, uh, the OSHA jokes. Do more people need to die before the state legislature gets involved and does something. It is what it is when it ends up what it is. You're going to make me cry. And no crying in podcasting. Be consistent, guys. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. By promoting safety and health through education, services, and products, this is Utah Safety Podcast. Speaking up for safety. Well, we're still in uh, 2022, I think. It feels like 2022 has been a long year, but we're at the last day of November 2022. There's 30 days in November, right? Not 31. We haven't added a day in November. Not, not that yet. I know of. Well, we're here at the Utah Safety Council in the Employee Lounge. This is the modern part of the building. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only modern part of the building. <laughs> we do a corner at a time here at the Safety Council, so... Uh, I am John Wojcikowski here with Brandy Crockett, our Vice President of uh, Operations, who just celebrated 20 years at the Safety Council. 20 years. What's your nice. number one memory in the last 20 years? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know one memory, but I think all the events, they're my favorite because you get to see everybody and do something fun. Was there one event that just did not turn out the way you thought it would? where it snowed and nobody showed up or <laughs> or too many people showed up or, uh, you know, the, the chicken wasn't quite cooked to satisfactory temperatures, you know, for a big sit-down women and safety luncheon or something. Gosh, or everybody I, showed up and you weren't there. Uh, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> oh, was that today? <laughs> I don't think I would have made it to 20 years had I done that, but yeah, well. yeah that would be a rough one. No, I mean, women in safety last year, it was that huge snowstorm. And so we weren't sure anything was going to actually happen. And was it the catering truck or something oh, got stuck? And it just seemed like everything was going wrong. But it actually came together and it was a nice day. So That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the catering truck, like a jackknifed on the way up to Red Butte. And so not only could they not get there, but... We were all behind the catering truck. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they could feed you if you needed it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we almost did the event in the middle of the road. Uh, well, Brandy's here. We have Brandon Long, our Brandon Long from the Band Collective. He's our uh, podcast professional engineer technician extraordinaire. Did I get your title right? Yeah, there's probably some more super superlatives that you left off, but we'll get <laughs> we'll get those in throughout the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And we're happy and honored to have Floyd Johnson here. He's the division director for the Utah Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Administration, right? Uh, no. Office. We're just the division. Division. Yeah. Very good. So you really are in charge of all occupational safety here in the state of Utah. Uh, yeah. And 
it's it's a big responsibility. I'm learning. <laughs> it is a big job, and you're learning because you're fairly new to the position. Yeah. Like, today's not your first day, though. <laughs> today's not my first day. Every day kind of feels like a first day. <laughs> never, I never have a day that's the same, so I'm always learning, and that's kind of what I love about it. But the interaction and the... You know, the people that I work with are amazing, so. How long before it doesn't feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose at, you know, full PSI? Or is I, it always is it, is it always going to be like that? It may be like that for quite a while, actually. Everything's, I mean, you got, there's constantly change and there's constantly things coming from the federal side that they want us to implement or, you know, we have accidents or catastrophes or anything else and it's all just kind of, it's, a crapshoot every morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Crapshoots, they can uh, they can be a little crappy. <laughs> Especially Wise if you're under it. John Wojcikowski. It's <laughs> so one thing we'll learn about Brandy. She laughs at all the dad jokes. <laughs> it doesn't do. matter how good or how bad they are. We always get. <laughs> <laughs> and most times it's a belly laugh. Like yeah, it hits yeah. me and it's just silly. Well, uh, for those of you out there, uh, if you've ever Googled Floyd Johnson, uh, division director for UWASH, uh, you'll find like absolutely nothing out there at all. Like, uh, I mean, like we're kind of, what's that? Kind of like Batman. Kind of like Batman or, you know, we've been joking about Jason Bourne and, you know, in <laughs> visiting before we went live, uh, you know, former Marine. So maybe you really are some sort of covert uh, op that, you know, you're just here spying on all of us, but not much information on Floyd Johnson. So we're going to do a deep dive and, you know, kind of like, was it Oprah or who was it that always make their guests cry? No crying allowed, but. <laughs> Can't promise you anything. <laughs> <laughs> We've got bits and pieces. It sounds like you grew up in Utah. Are you from Utah? So I was born originally, raised till I was in sixth grade here in Utah. So mostly Salt Lake, a little bit of Fruit Heights. Then we moved to Florida. And that was kind of a big culture shock for me because it was Orlando. And obviously that's a very popular place to go. So you've got all kinds of that know, diversity there. And, Does Disney live in Orlando? Yeah. Disney, Disney World. World. Disney World. Yeah, Orlando. the big one. Mm. Yeah. And that was the fun part, you know, because people come there and that's their, some of their life long dream vacation, you know, and then it's just always kind of a party place. But being in junior high, you know, I didn't get to participate so much in all that. But. <laughs> Good parents. Good. I sure saw a lot of people doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Brandy's right. Probably had good parents growing up then keep you out of the the Disney party scene in Orlando. <laughs> Downtown Disney. I don't know. They they would drop me off at the beach during spring break, and I think that's probably oh. the worst place you can put a kid. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. It is. It's probably not appropriate for this one. <laughs> but it was fun. I mean, we, we, we learned a lot. I, I think, if anything, that whole experience down there taught me that the world's a big place. Coming from here, obviously, back in the 80s, Fruit Heights, Orlando. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite different. Yeah. So I went from being the only colored kid in my entire neighborhood, school, everything, to going down there and being the majority, mm -hmm. which was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think it was a, it was a good eye-opening experience for yeah. me. Good learning time in my life. So. 
And then in high school, we moved back here to to Utah. We lived in Murray and Taylorsville. And parents like that's enough for Orlando. We're going back. Yeah, we had family down there. My mom and dad had gotten divorced, so mm. yeah, I think it was my mom's way of just kind of I need a new start, starting over kind yeah, of thing. And he yeah, was he was yeah. kind of intense. Mm. Uh, my dad was, so it was good for all of us in that regard. But uh, yeah, I love Florida. I still go back and hang out and have some friends there. Yeah, very so. cool. So you're back in Utah, young man out of high school, and and when did the Marines come into play? So I graduated high school. In, in Utah or Murray in High? Utah. I graduated from Taylorsville High School. Okay. Taylorsville. So that's okay. that's one of the funny things. I went to two elementary schools, four junior high schools, and three high schools. Wow. So I never really had the chance to like put down roots. And so I wasn't ever really like, I'm going to get really involved here because I always thought, you know, it could be the next week and I'll be gone kind of thing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I graduated high school. And uh, I actually got married three days after I turned 18. Wow. And that's another story. That's another podcast. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> I, I love love one. stories. So That's, yeah. that's the therapy <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that one, I mean, I had two girls with, with her, with my wife then. Beautiful girls. Uh, don't regret that. But that didn't work out. I joined the military. While I was in the military, things kind of fell apart between my wife and I. And uh, Military really doesn't care if you're married or not married. They just kind of tell you to go to the desert in California, and that's where you got to go regardless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They say if, you know, if we wanted you to have a wife, we'd issue you one kind of thing. (laughs) 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 But I came into it with this family, so a little different, but, you know. We're young. We grew. We look back on it now, and we're like, "Yeah, that was wasn't probably the best idea to get married." <laughs> Happens to everyone. <laughs> but it gave me a good life lesson again. You know, yeah. divorce is a hard thing, and when there's kids involved, it's even harder. And then you have the co-parenting thing for till the kids are adults, mm. and then even still after that, it's are you going to mom's house for Christmas? Or are you going to come yeah. here? You know, kind of yeah. thing. Good relationship with your daughters now, though, those two daughters now? Wonderful. Yeah. Relationship. So you did, yeah, you did it right then, or something right. Yeah. <laughs> and I and this is just, I'm going to say it because it's what I believe. If there are men out there that are going through this situation, be consistent. That's what will matter to your kids over time. Just be consistent. Specifically, what does that mean? Consistently there for them. Consistently... You know, this is what I believe. This is, you know, don't don't try to change everything up to cater. Mm-hmm. Be consistent with consistent with who you are. And I just tried to be a dad to him the best way I could in the situation. Like I said, I grew up at twelve. I got my parents got divorced, so I kind of understood the dynamic <clears throat> that they would be in, and I wanted to make sure that uh, that they understood that I was there constantly. And so she got awarded the kids. Basically, I think because it was Utah. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, uh, but I would, I mean, I had them all the time. Yeah. I didn't live far from her. In fact, when I did remarry, my wife and I, my current wife and I, got an apartment like a block from their house. <laughs> so I'm sure your ex wife loved that. Oh. Right? <laughs> I never saw her that much. So. 
<laughs> I didn't really care. <laughs> well, it made it easier for the kids, right? Yeah, right. you got to see them more, so that's good. And she was my ex was working full time, so it actually worked out great because we would pick them up from school and they would spend most of the day with us, and then go home, and then we'd have them every other weekend, and so it was it was it was more like. I don't know. It was it was almost as if I was like one of those guys that works all day long and doesn't see my kids till the weekend kind of thing, but actually got to see them in an evening. So just be, be consistent, guys. As they get older, that's what will matter to them. Yeah. You're going to make me cry. I thought I was going to be the one. <laughs> and no crying in podcasting. Don't cry. <laughs> See, uh, Marine Corps, is this, uh, so, you know, while you're uh, rebuilding your life and being, uh, you know, a great dad, uh, is this, uh, what are you doing for work now? Is this uh, the start of your construction career? Or? Yeah, so right out of high school, I started footings and foundation construction. We did residential work, a lot of Park City. Mm. And Park City is a unique little place to do footings and foundations it's like a super fun site like uh all the ground there has been contaminated it's and then you got the terrain that you could have a a four foot retaining foundation wall in front and then the back of your house has a 20 foot foundation wall because it's Mm. the slope is so great yeah so it was it was interesting that way but continued doing that until i joined the marine corps got out of the marine corps Went back into construction, this time uh, into a commercial kind of situation, and kind of continued on that path. I took a break from it, thinking I was going to get away from it, as many of us do. And uh, I ran my own little company for a little while, and it was just small structures and and fencing and things, you know, just small stuff that yeah. I could do. But then, like we were tell- I was telling you before, 2008 hit, and all the work just kind of st- stopped and i had a family friend that lived in hawaii who was visiting i love how you say hawaii i know hawaii (laughs) i lived there so i have to do it the right way or i get beat up when i get home (laughs) (laughs) my wife would just not talk to me for a while (laughs) she was born and raised there it's not hawaii floyd (laughs) (laughs) anyway so we we ended up over there in oahu building big 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 houses and they were fun. The view was spectacular, yeah. always. And my commute was awesome because it was just right along the North Shore, beautiful beaches. All the, that was great. We were there for a couple of years, and we would fly our girls back and forth quite often. Hmm. How long is that flight? That seems like it'd be far. What is it's it like? Five hours? hours? Five, six hours? Five, six hours. hours? Oh. Yeah. It got to a point where we just, you know, we got to go back to Utah and be with our kids and make sure that they were in that junior high kind of age mm. and we wanted to make sure we were there yeah through high school those are some pretty important years yeah so we did and came back here and my wife said you know you're not she was very nice about it but she said you know you're, you're not going to be young forever <laughs> <laughs> that's and, that's the second piece of sage advice from floyd <laughs> be consistent with the kids you're not going to be young forever <laughs> she's like your body's going to it's taken a toll already. What about going to school? Mm. And so I ended up going to school. Like It was the furthest thing from my mind, to be quite honest. I School? I hated school. <laughs> <laughs> but that was because I went to so many, I think. And it was just, I was so behind and everything because I just wasn't there enough. So where did you enroll? So I started at, at Slick, mm-hmm. Salt Lake Community. S- yep. And they got, they had a program there that you could take 
and get your generals, but also be working on your your bachelor's in construction management at the same time. All right. So that program was with Weber, Staker Parsons mm-hmm. program there. Yeah. So I took that route. And toward the end of my bachelor's, one of the guys that my wife was working with, he was actually one of the the faculty up at the Rocky Mountain Center. Mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain Center, OSHA, Rocky Mountain OSHA Center. It's got a long name and I always slaughter <laughs> it. I think it's Mountain West OSHA now, but anyway. Well, the the program up at the U, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. Anyway, he's like, tell your husband, he maybe should think about this. And they had an industrial hygienist program up there. And his angle was, you know, in safety, there's obviously there's construction and there's a lot of it. And industrial hygienists are needed in that area or in that arena. So I applied, blew me away that I got accepted. So I did a master's there, a master's certificate. So you started at Slick, so, uh, affectionately known as Salt Lake Community College, <laughs> and then graduated bachelor's from Weber State, construction management, and then quickly transitioned to the U, working on your master's in industrial hygiene. Yep. Wow. So you're cer- are you a certified industrial hygienist? I'm not yet. I'm afraid of that test. I, <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. It's not yeah. that I wouldn't do it, but I just don't have the time at this point yeah. <laughs> to get after it. You need to have a certain amount of years of experience after, well, in order to get the CIH, you have to have five years of field experience, mm-hmm. and then you can apply to take the test. And so technically, that would have been this last year, mm. and things have changed since then, and I got this position, so time's just kind of, it, it's it's crunch time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like your wife's going to listen to this and be like, Floyd, you got to take that test. <laughs> I mean, she, she got you into slick and now look, now look at you. Yeah. <laughs> 2023 challenge. Here's how bad it was. <laughs> I just prefaced this. I took my, uh, what do they call it? Your, it's basically a placement test mm-hmm. for solid community. Mm. And I did okay with the English part, but my math <laughs> they put me in. It's always the math. The addition and subtraction. It was like 101. <laughs> <laughs> and so my entire six and a half years of school, I was doing math courses because that's how bad it was. Uh, but, I, I feel that pain. I went through that as well up at Weber State. So I went through the, it was the course that you have to pay for and you don't even get credit for it. Mm-hmm. You had to take two of those. Just to get to the basic math <laughs> like, class, you, you finally really get need help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Literally, the teacher drew a line on the the whiteboard. Whiteboard, yeah, yeah the whiteboard, yeah. and was like, "This is a number line. Here's zero. <laughs> I thought, okay, we're going back to first grade here. Let's do this. But probably helpful, right? <laughs> I, I've learned to really love math. Actually, after that, so that's good. Um, it's never thought I'd say that, but it's been fun. Yeah. That was a good experience, obviously. And then I was actually working for the University of Utah's EHS department Up kind of Rocky while Mount. I was doing that. Okay. All right. Going to that program. And so you're working for the university, not, uh, I, uh, so you're working for the university, but you're taking uh, master's courses kind of in conjunction with uh, the Rocky Mountain OSHA Center, the regional OSHA Center. Yeah, it's right. well. The University of Utah has their. It's called the Rocky Mountain Center for Occupational Environmental Health and Safety, mm-hmm. and we just call it REMCO for short. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's a lot of it's a lot of words, a lot of words. But uh, they would require a internship anyway, mm. and so I just figured I'd get on 
make some extra money and, and go to finish my school yeah. at the same time. And they had a really good program up there. Obviously, it's no program is perfect. I'll tell you that right now. There, there are companies that do it really well, but they're, it's almost like their own little city, the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And man, there are so many different elements to it that those guys are, they were hopping. Yeah. The HS guys, they, they, it was not, it was a lot like it is now with, with, with compliance. Yeah. You know, it's nothing ever was the same. So if you're an EH person working for the university, are you, uh, I can see where, you know, like in medical, you get the med, you guys are dealing with like the medical school stuff and, and, uh, like, do you ever get PAs up there just getting a little too crazy with a scalpel or something, or you got to deal with that kind of stuff? <laughs> As well as engineers, you know, trying to cook a potato in a coffee pot over the Christmas break. <laughs> that happens. Sure. <laughs> that happens. We did get a lot of... Uh, Point I mean, you got exposed to a lot of different workplace yeah. hazards, I'm sure, up there. They've got a lot of different shops. They've got a lot of chemistry up there, obviously. We've got their own... Like I said, it's like their own city. So, you know, they've confined spaces. They have... Anything you can think of is up mm, there. Yeah. So it was a good experience. They they really are trying to do a good job up there. And I'm still friends with, at least I think he's the director now there, Stubbs. <laughs> we call them Pop Stubbs. <laughs> <laughs> he's just one of those guys that's just like, yeah, that's your name. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to guess that uh, from there you transitioned over to UWASH. Is that when uh, you made the... The move to the state, were you a compliance officer with UOSH or? Yeah, so I, after I finished school, I started putting in applications actually with the construction companies. Some of the bigger ones mm-hmm. was entertaining an offer from Layton Construction. That's just the uh, the air or the heat kicking on. <laughs> it sounded like a jet flying yeah. through here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Construction, uh, yeah. HVAC. It's loud. It works here. <laughs> I was just thinking, my office does not work in there. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> this would be nice. <laughs> oh, we have our days, yeah, where it's not working <laughs> as nice. as yeah. Anyway, I, I put in an application with the state. I wasn't 100% committed to that idea yet. I had some, some other offers, all of which, I will say, paid at least twice as much <laughs> as the state did. But for whatever reason... I felt like this was the place for me. Yeah. And so swallowed that pill and started there and literally have never regretted it. Was Jason Mon? was he the uh, commissioner, labor commission? When Did he sit you down and like give you the talk like this is where you need to be? We're, we're going to pay you <laughs> like a third of what you're worth. But <laughs> we really, this, really this, want to. This is your calling. <laughs> That's a good speech there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that speech came from Cameron. Cameron Rock. Predecessor. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, he, in fact, I was his very first hire, Cameron's very first hire, because he oh. had just barely been put into the director position when, when I was hired. So so for the listening audience, Cameron Rupp, am I saying that right? Rupp. It's Rupp. Rupp. Oh, yeah. sorry, Cameron. <laughs> but he was your predecessor. Uh, he was the former division director of UWASH. And yeah, so he hired you and, and gave you the talk about you're going to, Come here, work hard, and get paid less. 
take my place one day. So, and then he'd bail for like he a never billion even dollar that. job. He just, yeah. <laughs> You'll be frustrated for about five years. <laughs> but that's normal. And that it's is okay. Yeah. You're making a difference. <laughs> but he hired you as a compliance officer with UWASH. Correct. Right? Yeah, so I started doing that and... and Let's unpack that. What's that like? <laughs> no one's happy to see you when you when when OSHA shows up at your doorstep. I mean, there's one. There's places where you go and and they they receive you really well. You know, they're typically the places that are like, you know, we're we're trying and we're glad you're here because you can help us out with figuring out some of this stuff. And I love working with those those employers mm-hmm. because you can really tell that they want to keep their people safe. And then there's the ones where you get there and. They're real nice to you, to your face. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they're whispering to one of their guys on the side, and you see everybody else outside in the warehouse scrambling, cleaning things up. Because you've never seen that before. I've never seen that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then occasionally we get some that just refuse to let us enter, and we have to get... uh, If they have a warrant. Yeah, you get a a warrant from the judge, and and then go back. Those ones, I've only had one of those, and I think it was because they were in a really unique situation at the time. They are, they're a company from California. They came up. They're in rural Utah. Mm. I can't remember the, the town. Just out in the middle of Utah, and they made trailers. Mm. And they sent this guy to be their their operations manager at that particular area, and it turned out he was embezzling, and um, he was just had this oh, ring wow. of bad stuff going on so it wasn't that they didn't want osha they didn't want anybody (laughs) well they had just found this out literally the friday before i showed up on the monday and so they had flown their guy from texas or whatever their head headquarters were in texas but main business was california and he had just got there and so he was like i'm just trying to figure things out right now so i he called up the the main office and they said tell him to go away that's a bad day when, you know, <laughs> <laughs> your business and you're dealing with auditors and the IRS, I'm assuming. And then, oh my gosh, here's OSHA now. <laughs> what yeah. else? I was just going to say One that. punch, two punch. Yeah. 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 If you're having a bad day at work, there it could be worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've, you know, we have our fair share of threats and whatnot from disgruntled people. And that just comes with the territory, I guess. I think the the most interesting time, and I say interesting meaning it was tense and you had to really be careful was during the pandemic because they, we weren't let, you know, they didn't have us stop working. We still had to go out and and with the mask mandate situation, Mm. they were having, we were getting a lot of complaints. People weren't wearing masks. Anybody could report it. I mean, it was ridiculous. And And you were a compliance officer during the whole pandemic. So you're having to to deal with those complaints and yeah and uh, and people obviously were pretty polarized about that whole situation understandably still are yeah yeah i I went through that again this week (laughs) but yeah what was your official role at osha in the in the rules as far as that was concerned enforcing that yeah it was basically to make sure that people were wearing their masks. I mean, that's it was a mask mandate handed down from the governor, you know, so we had to enforce it. And so that's why I was saying it was kind of scary because sometimes you go into these places and literally these businesses are just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a weird, really weird time and everybody was shutting down. 
<clears throat> yeah. And then you're coming in and saying, you know, you're not wearing a mask. And if you don't, you're going to get this fine. And I just, you had to be real careful. Yeah. No, I get it. That'd be tough. I mean, we had, uh, you know, here at the safety council, uh, you know, the refinery serve required, you know, in-person classes and some computer lab work before workers could go on to the, to the refinery site. And, you know, we got the, you know, I'm a lion, not a sheep type of thing. I don't want to wear a mask. And, you know, with those sort of situations, we just called on Brandy and she took care of them. <laughs> <laughs> don't the make inf- me get Brandy in here. Enforcer, yeah. It was serious. <laughs> Well, how long were you a compliance officer then? How many years? So it's been, it was five years, almost to the day, honestly. Oh, wow. Um, And honestly, when Cameron left, it surprised pretty much all of us because nobody was expecting that. And he was a great director. I really loved working under him and applied and made it through. Opportunity for you. So that's good. Yeah. Cameron was so young. First time I met him, I was like, this junior high kids, like the director <laughs> of UWASH? He was. He's, he still is yeah. pretty young, but uh, yeah. I just feel like he had this, you know, those people that are like kind of old souls. He's, yeah. he's yeah. one of those guys, yeah. I think. Yeah. Really mellow and could take things, see them for what they are and work through them. Yeah. And he was good at the job. He was passionate about it and he cared, you yeah, know. Absolutely. I think you could tell that too. And he had that trait good safety managers directors have they're just good at building uh relationships with people and a culture and he knew everything about everything it seemed like i remember you know like with scully caps he he knew that i liked him and he knew everything about scully caps and boston scully caps and and then you know he'd move on to the next person and knew everything about you know <laughs> what that person was interested in it was it's a crazy crazy skill that he had so yeah, you're probably not going to get that from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you almost made me cry. Cameron never made me cry. Oh, man. Well, congratulations on the, the new job. So uh, you're into it, what, just a handful of months now, really, then, huh? Yeah, I think about six, maybe. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about UWASH, what it is. So Utah has uh, a state OSHA plan. What is what does that mean exactly, and how does that compare? Like, what is Utah OSHA versus federal OSHA, and and uh, you know, just so employers and people listening know um, what that relationship is. Okay, so obviously, federal OSHA is in charge of the country, every state, and states have the option to run their own plan, their own their own OSHA program. It's overseen by the federal government. It's highly monitored by them to make sure that we're at least as effective as or more. And so the idea was that people that live in the state of Utah probably have a better idea or or a, a better sense for what's important. What, like some, some states have really big oil and gas mm-hmm. kind of thing. Some states have agriculture some state so that being the case they figured each state could probably run their programs and and be more effective that way is that the general consensus now with federal OSHA is yeah the state of Utah knows best what's best for the state of Utah or I think generally speaking yes Uh, I you know there's always the the push-pull situation with you know are you going to adopt this 
as it is? Or are you going to try and do something better? And if so, we need to see it to make sure it is. And mm -hmm. sometimes what they think is, is more as effective as or more doesn't really align with what we mm -hmm. feel it is. Um, so there's some, that's the kind of the battle that, that state plans have with, with the federal folks. And with anything that's, that's federally run, it seems like sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect with what's being set up here in Washington. Yeah. And then how it gets implemented. Yeah. So Are they like every other federal agent that you uh, see on the television where they're showing up for the state audit plan and, you know, they're in a black suit and black sunglasses. tie, sunglasses. Men and in black type <laughs> scenario. Yeah, I... I haven't had that experience yet. Mm. Um, typically, they, they roll up in a blacked-out suburban. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, the feds are here again. Here they are. <laughs> they wish they were that cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brian. <laughs> He's my federal guy. Yeah. <laughs> in a rented Hyundai in or something. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the point I'm making. They're really not. I mean, you know. They're probably showing up and getting dropped off by the Uber guy, the same Uber people that run me over to Larry H. Miller when I need an oil change. Or, <laughs> well, yeah, they're just people too. Yeah, there's people yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and all things considered, they really do. We're all under the same umbrella. We're all after the same thing. We want to make sure that we can provide healthy workplaces for everybody, safe workplaces for everybody. So, yeah, I think anytime you have a dynamic where you've got federal versus state you're always going to have whatever issues there are sure but it sounds like you know there's maybe always a little push and pull but ultimately it sounds like they're good to work with yeah for, and, and this is this may just be my six months in <laughs> naivety <laughs> you're still in the honeymoon period with them so <laughs> but uh we'll ask you after you've been through an audit yeah, that we'll, might change invite me back after a year and just see if i'm like <laughs> Bald. <laughs> <laughs> you like rock, paper, scissors? Do you arm wrestle? Or how do you get through some of those differences between the state and the federal uh, opinions? I you guess, know, and that's, how to do things? that's a good question because obviously there's certain ways that we're supposed to do things. Um, I haven't had to go through that experience yet necessarily, so I'm not, I don't have the personal experience to say, here's what we do. But uh, we, honestly, we just try to sit down and talk. And, uh, Here's why we think this is the way it should be, and here's why we think this shouldn't be this way. And that's that's the ideal situation. Yeah. Air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of sitting down and talking. I mean, that'll, that's weird. That'll yeah. solve most of the world problems mm -hmm. right there. Here's my theory, right? With all the problems in the world, really, if you could get like maybe a dozen people, is it? it's probably just a dozen world leaders, if you can get them all in the same room, talking it out, figuring it out, then it'd be, you know, for the billion of us others, it'd be fine. Yeah, and I would appreciate it if they would make it into a podcast. That would be nice. <laughs> we'd all listen. Just <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Maybe we could host it. Yeah, I think. yeah. They could come here. It's a safe yeah, place. It's fine. <laughs> I bet if you invited them, they'd show up. Yeah. <laughs> that might be part of the problem, too, is that it's probably 12 boys that just need to get together and figure it out. They just need, you know couple brandy crockett's in there to, to get them organized exactly I mean, bring it together let's come <laughs> up with a track. plan yeah yeah knock it off sit down and talk to him and figure it out
All right, challenge accepted. I got this. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> well, let's uh, kind of give a scope of your responsibility here, Floyd. So uh, these stats, actually, you provided in the uh, advisory board. There's a UWASH advisory board where, uh, you know, you have different leaders in industry come and, you know, give you feedback. And, you know, everybody bounces ideas off on how to keep Utah safer. But... Um, the average employment in Utah, 1.6 million workers in Utah. Is that right? As far as our numbers go, yes. Yeah. Over uh, uh, the number of employers in Utah is about 121,000 employers in all industries. That seems big. How does that compare to, you know, some of the other states and their state plans? I mean, that's a, that's a lot of people, 1.6 million that's just workers. That's just I mean, that's not total population, but uh, I think Utah is just shy of three million people, and more than half of us here have uh, jobs. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you have states like California that are just massive, and I'm sure that I mean, comparatively, we we Utah has a certain amount of number of compliance officers that we can actually hire and that can do the job, and it, <laughs> we're like. A, a scratch yeah. on the bucket that you would drop something into compared to some of these states. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, so <laughs> 1.6 million uh, workers in Utah that UWASH is uh, charged with keeping safe or helping keep safe, you know, working with their employers, to keep them safe. So I want to assume you have hundreds of compliance officers to help achieve that task. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's and how many do assumption. we have? Yeah. <laughs> A hundred? A hundred. A hundred compliance officers. Yeah, let's take a poll. Who, who's closest? Man, that's a, that's a lot of people to... Uh, but I think I'm just going to say a, a state is potentially underfunding you. So, 15. Oh. That was going to be my number, so I'm going to oh, say... Really? So we've got a gap 19. here. Yeah, 15 yeah. to 100. I'm being facetious because <laughs> I have it in front of me, but... Yeah, we, we have 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, you have states like Oregon and Oregon has, I think, over 120 something. Um, but it all depends on how their grants are set up and how the budgets are and when they became a state plan and, and, and the math that goes into all of that that we don't know as a state plan. We don't know what that math is because we keep asking and they can't provide anything. In I, yeah, I was going to ask, can you affect that? Can you... Find find room in a budget or propose budget a budget proposal to bring more officers in to help. That's that's the question, really. That's what I'm working on. In a perfect world, though, I mean, if budgets weren't a concern, and you could just you know choose what number, how many would you want? How many do we need? Do you think? Yeah, would more compliance officers help keep Utah safe, or more com or uh, more? Uh, consultation officers, which we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah. But what's your wish list? What's your Christmas list of... Uh... Well, honestly, I wish... And I'm just throwing this out there because it's public information anyway, but Puerto Rico just barely became a state plan, and they have a similar workforce as we do. Numbers are pretty close, hmm. which surprised me. Uh, yeah, I would yeah. say. At least that's what I'm seeing online. So mm -hmm. who knows where that comes from. Everything you read online is true. Yeah, especially especially on Wikipedia. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything. <And> Facebook. <laughs> um. Anyway, they got awarded fifty-two compliance officers. Oh my gosh! 
And so we're like, well, how did they get to that number? And why can't we get that? You know, so you're just really efficient. Well, honestly, yes. And I don't mean to sound, you know, proud or whatever, but our state plan, Utah's state plan runs circles around a lot of the other states in terms of how many inspections we do and how many um, visits and and, uh, consultation visits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we average around 1,200 visits a year from just compliance. Wow, wow. It'll fluctuate a little bit depending on the year, but like this past year was just over... 980 hmm. but we were down three compliance officers at any given time through the year because of people retiring out and whatnot yeah and yeah so. how many state plans are there 51 states 51 states right <laughs> <laughs> well the number just changed um because was it massachusetts is starting there hey they just got they're going they're going got, their they got their too. approval hmm. but i think it's in the in the neighborhood of like 24 to 26. It's about half. Yeah. About half. Yeah. I should probably know that number, but I know it's on that sheet, that purple handout that I gave you. The purple handout is the 2021 special report, impact and funding of occupation of state occupational safety and health programs. I see uh, Arizona still on here. How are they doing? Because uh, during the pandemic, they were like close to getting expelled. Yeah. They, they have resolved their, they've come to an agreement. I guess, and they resolve their issues. So they're, the word we're getting is that they're back, getting back on track and they're going to be fine. Good. So the yeah. states without plans, how, what do they do? And and how how does the, why should they adopt like a, a state plan potentially in the future? Um, I think it just depends on the state, honestly. One of the best answers to any question here when it comes to UOSH is it depends. Because it really does. There's so many variables. Mm-hmm. If they are not a state plan, obviously, then they have the, the federal OSHA people, and they'll just have people, an office there like anything else, and they'll just run the, the program like we run it, except it's under the OSHA guidance. Utah, even though we're a state plan, we still have a federal presence um, down in Sandy. There's an office. It's, the, the, it's actually the one of the labs, the laboratories for OSHA. Hmm. It's very, very well done. And they process you know, a lot of samples from industrial hygienists all over the country, given the results that they need. So they do play a very important role. They're responsible for anything that, that is federal government. Hmm. So your military bases, your rail, railway. The UWASH doesn't have jurisdiction over, uh, you know, the Army depot out in Tooele or Hill Air Force Base or that's all federal OSHA. That's all federal OSHA. Yeah. And I could be wrong. We may have a little bit of influence, but to my understanding, that's what it is. Yeah. And they, they do a real good job. We, we can go to them with questions that we have in terms of like, you know, we're all trying to figure things out all the time. And especially when we're sampling... Uh, for silica or you know, mm. other chemicals, they're really good about helping us with methods and and techniques or whatever that they feel like have they've seen that worked really well. Yeah, or, yeah, and they simulate a little bit, I'm sure. You know, some of these uh, military or other organizations that don't necessarily fall under the jurisdiction of UWASH. Let's talk about that. Like, what what does UWASH? Uh, what do you guys charge with? I I have a list here. Like, you don't do 
Um, the exceptions to the state plan are like maritime. Is there a big maritime employment population here in Utah? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's no water here. here. Yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. And if we did, we're losing it quick. <laughs> yeah, it's all gone. Yeah, the Great Salt Lake's drying up. Postal Service, USPS. That's uh, that's Federal OSHA that's dealing with uh, that operation, right? Trucks yep. and warehouse and. You know, so if you're working for the post office and you're not happy with the conditions that are unsafe, they're they're calling federal OSHA. Well, and that's where we get into some of the, the nuances because they could be a subcontractor. The subcontractor would fall, I believe, under under us. So you you got airlines that are, you know, they use these subcontractors to be mm-hmm. their ramp agents and things, and they use. There's a bunch of them out there. Yeah, I was, I was just so. going to ask about the airport. You yeah, know, air, how does that fall into Yeah, everything? aircraft operations is an exception too. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. Honestly, I I've I had a case that, you know, we had somebody that was a pilot that had some concerns about the fumes mm. from the jets mm. and the noise from the jets mm. and wanted us to come and do a sample for him. Well, in order to do that, he would obviously have to fly the airplane, which takes us out of our jurisdiction. So then it becomes like this well, then who yeah. is, is going to be tasked to take care of this? And so they basically took that case from me. And I don't know where they, they, they probably handed it over to the feds. But anything that was on the ground, I had I could cite or I had jurisdiction over. But any, So any ground operations, nothing inside the aircraft? Yeah. Or, wow. Do huh. you ever work with the NTSB or no? Tell Brandon what that is. NTSB. And I, I think National Transportation Safety Board. Yeah, yeah, I knew. I, I couldn't. I couldn't have repeated it, but I sort of knew what they okay, were. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> well, we had someone from NSC who went to the NTSB. National Safety so, Council. yeah, National Safety Council. So, it's kind of something that's interesting to me. But I'm going to give you my honest answer. I don't know mm. yet. I'm still learning. Yeah, every day. So yeah. it's just a good example of how the agencies, all of the agencies, really intertwine. Yeah. Yeah. As they should. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know that they communicate well. But. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> well, let's talk about agriculture. I, I found this interesting. Some migrant workers or seasonal workers, agri- agricultural workers that work in packing produce into containers, they're not, uh, they don't fall under U.S. jurisdiction. Who's looking out for uh, the migrant worker in Utah, their safety and well-being? Yeah, that's another one that I'm, I'm not super familiar with because all of my work was done on other areas I'd run into it with like you know there's sometimes they have these programs where they'll have people migrant workers come up and and do construction kind of things mm-hmm. and they do those programs through some government agency that was my only exposure to that and we treated it just like any other situation yeah uh, so my thoughts are that would be the case we would treat it like anything else but again we're I hate saying it but we're we're so busy you know trying to keep up with the accidents and the complaints and everything else that we it's hard to do proactive work it sounds like yeah we're we're we still do it but not as much as we'd like to well i mean you were a a compliance officer for years what walk us through the day in life of the compliance officer for for you ash you sit down and you know make a plan the previous day this is what i'm going to do tomorrow (laughs) I mean, it sounds like you show up and it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> put out this fire or put out this fire. Yeah. So yeah, it just depends. Um, there it is again. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> uh, 
That's what we should call this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you should. It <laughs> yeah, it's a theme. I, I we record a financial podcast, and that's basically their answer to everything. Is well, it depends. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's just the reality, I guess. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we we if we know we're going to a certain place, like you know, if we get a complaint, depending on the complaint, you know, it may have us. It may need us to be there immediately. And that's usually a case of like an accident or fatality. Is that what normally triggers a compliance inspection as some sort of complaint? Or is it Not uh, luck of the draw? So every registered business is basically, I should say they're not everyone, but there are certain disqualifications, obviously. And I'm not going to get into all that. But basically, if you have a place of employment, it's kind of fair game. Because we want to make sure that everybody's got that safety safety mm -hmm. net so we do what we call leps um, they're called local emphasis programs and those are typically set up so that we can address an industry that we're having a lot of accidents or whatever in mm. so and by addressing that or, or focusing on that hopefully we can can bring the numbers down yeah sadly it's a moving target a lot of times um, but it definitely keeps us busy but if we do know we're going to go someplace and it's not immediately needed you go the next day mm. for instance we can sit down and plan it out and do a little research on what they do there so that we're not going in completely blind to what we're... The main thing is we want to make sure that, one, we're doing our jobs right, but we're also protecting our compliance officers as well. Mm -hmm. So they need to kind of know what they're getting themselves into. So they all carry PPE and all that stuff so that they can do that. But occasionally they'll show up and, you know, they'll have to come back. Yeah. Because special circumstances or whatever but hmm. day in the life is basically if you're not doing an lep or sorry i should if you're not addressing an accident or a complaint those are the priorities mm -hmm. then you're working on the lep list and that list is randomly generated through using the NAICS codes that you were talking about earlier mm -hmm. for the industries and uh they're thrown into a computer basically at a randomizing program yeah and that spits out a certain amount of either places or cities. It depends on the LEP. Mm. And we just work, all of us will work on that list until it's completely done. Mm. And then once that's done, we just, they generate another list. And hopefully we're, once they've been visited, um, not hopefully, but once they've been visited, technically we're not supposed to go back for at least two years unless there is an accident or a complaint. Obviously, then we'll have to go back. But it buys... I guess buys them some time or whatever, but yeah. they can breathe. <laughs> <laughs> well, how does the compliance inspection normally go? You know, so they win the lottery and, you know, their number comes up <laughs> for, for an inspection or a complaint comes in. UWAS uh, shows up at the doorstep. Does it normally start with an inspection or a sit-down meeting? Or, you know, how does, how does it normally go for uh, the UWAS officer and the employer? And do lawyers get involved and... You know, what, you know, what would uh, uh, warrant a citation or a fine? Like, give us uh, the insight on all what, what that is and how it goes. Well, the easy answer is yes um, to all of that. But typically you will have compliance officers show up. They'll request a meeting with the highest ranking person there. So either a manager, owner, or whatever highest ranking person is. Um, we'll try to establish if they're a member of a union of any kind. Mm. If so, we'll contact the union to let them know that we're there 
and that they can send a representative or whatever to to be a part of the actual inspection. Mm-hmm. If they're not, then we don't have to worry about that, obviously. But so we'll have a we'll sit down. We'll have an opening conference. Do you read them like? Do they have like a Miranda right? <laughs> you just won the lottery. I gotta get my lawyer in here. A disclaimer is... before yeah. we enter. Um, typically, no. Uh, we just honestly, I would walk into a business if you were the business owner or whoever I encountered first. I'd say I'd introduce myself as a compliance officer with Utah Occupational Safety and Health, and I would show you my credentials. Then I would ask, you know, can I speak with your manager or the owner or whoever's the highest ranking? person mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and typically they'll say sure and they'll take you to a conference sure, room. <laughs> <laughs> oh thank god that's not me <laughs> yeah there's always that relief look. <laughs> um and they'll take us to a conference room or something and and we'll sit down and we'll have what we do what's called an opening conference with them and in the op- opening conference if it's a complaint or an accident obviously they know why we're there if it's an accident if it's a complaint, they don't always know. But we'll establish what it is. If it's an LEP, local emphasis program, visit, we'll explain that to them. That that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. They won the lottery, as you say. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I always assumed that some industries would be would have more oversight than others because of what it, the whatever they're like doing, they're, more they're working hazardous in. Or yeah. Dangerous or whatever. Yeah. So is that not the case, or the LEPs really randomly generated? So the the list is randomly generated. But the industry, we try to do, we try to focus on the industries that are having most accidents or whatever. Yeah, so that makes sense. Okay. So yeah, it's, it can be confusing at times, but there is sense to it, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just one of those, you so have to your, be there kind of things. So in your experience, really. do these inspections normally go well where the employer is uh, compliant or cooperative or uh, do you have those cases where, you know, they, they get lawyered up and... You know, they just uh, become difficult to work with or when does it go south, I guess? Well, yeah, well, you don't just show up and shut it down. Right. And I mean, that'd have to be a massive issue. Does U.S. even have that sort yeah. of jurisdiction to show up and shut a business down until till they do comply or cooperate or if there's like a, yeah. as a compliance officer, if I see some sort of imminent danger that that would require that I could request that from my superiors mm-hmm. let them know what's going on and then they would take it from there okay so you so you lived in hawaii so there's literally lava flowing through the entrance of a building somewhere you know <laughs> in utah for some reason like you can call and be like shut it down you know like what would it take to shut it down you ask suggest you get away from that lava yeah. <laughs> honestly it takes it, it takes a lot yeah we don't we're not in the business of shutting people down despite I, and I think, think that's what that's the point, right? That's yeah. the point. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are, I mean, you're compliance officers, but you're ultimately you're there to help. Ultimately the employer there and the to, employees. Yeah. Yeah. And how long do they have to respond to, right? Don't you have like, it's like, here's some things I'm seeing. You have to until this date. Is that sort of how it works? So yeah, we, we, so once we've done our opening conference and we had, we kind of talk about what's going on, if it's complaint, we tell them, here's the complaint and this is what we're going to be looking at. We'll need to go look at it. Um, if it's, construction or if it's general industry whatever um so once that general opening conference is done we'll take a walk around the facility if it was a complaint about something specific we'll go to that specific machine and or production area and do an inspection on the equipment that's out there we're trying to validate the complaint obviously 
because we want to make sure that we're taking it seriously for the people that feel like they're in danger. Um, so we try to be specific or very intentional about that. If, and we tell, tell our employers this, along the way, if we see something that could possibly hurt somebody like happening at that point, we will address it at that point. Um, but you know, I tell you, 90% or 80% of the people that I worked with really did have the best interest of their people in mind. And they were really good to work with. Some were amazing to work with. They just really got it. And I only had a couple that were just difficult, you know, and it, it's it's not always because they're they're hiding something or that they're doing something wrong. It's just... It's like in their nature. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's times when it's just rough point in their life or whatever. So you always have to take those things into consideration. I think compliance officers have to be <laughs> kind of part-time counselors. <laughs> uh, but we rarely get anybody that's like hostile or anything. Good. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah. And that just speaks to the quality of employers in Utah, I think. And you guys know this. We have, we have our frequent flyers that, you know, honestly, they don't seem to care. But we also have the companies that are really, really trying. I don't know if you know this, Floyd, but people crack OSHA jokes around the office every now and then, you know, in all offices. <laughs> so do, do you guys crack OSHA jokes in your office? And are they funny? <laughs> <laughs> don't make me call myself on myself. <laughs> I am aware of the, uh, the OSHA jokes. <laughs> That's one thing I've learned about safety. I've walked into more uh, warehouses where the safety guy or girl uh, you know, just because they're trying to build a rapport with like the forklift driver and, you know, they, they're on the back of the forklift trying to counterweight, you know, the forklift because the, what they're trying to lift is too heavy and oh, let's just jump on the back. They're like artists. They think, you know, because I know the art rules, I can, I can clash. You colors. can break them. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Does that happen a lot or is that just, uh, my observation? I'm just going to say, I'm sure it happens. <laughs> That's a rough job. That's a rough gig, honestly, to yeah. try to try to maintain a safety culture in your mm. company, especially if it's a big one. Yeah. Because you don't want to be the tattletale or, you know, or like the in-house. Here we go. Uh, you know, like the in-house OSHA guy. Oh, here comes, uh, here comes the safety guy, you know, everybody, or girl, everybody, uh, you know. I believe the term was safety police. Safety police, yeah, and- yeah. <laughs> Well, UWASH has a uh, consultation division, and it's common knowledge that, you know, if an employer calls consultation asking for help and consultation goes in and they see a bunch of hazards, the first thing they do is call enforcement to go in there and shut them down. <laughs> common knowledge. Yeah. That's I'm being facetious. I, I, I get it. Because people think that's what happens, but. Yeah, so I want to answer that question, but I want to finish answering his, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got sidetracked. So once we've done the, the inspection, if the if it's valid, we address it. If it's if there's standards that are being violated, then it's cited. We try to be fair and reasonable to everybody, obviously. We take all that into consideration. Once the physical inspection is done, we go back to our, now it's homes because we're all working remotely. We used to go back to the office and we will sit down and just kind of we'll go through the standards and see which one truly fits. And then if we don't know, if we don't know that already, obviously, and then we'll write the report up. And if there is a citation involved, we'll issue the citation. Mind you, this case has to go through several levels of review before 
it's ever issued a, a citation. And that that's to make sure that we're not just out there flippantly <laughs> throwing out citations and that we're doing it right. So it'll go through supervisor, then it'll go through the, the operations manager, and, and sometimes it'll go to the director, but that's not very often. Once that's done, then they'll send out the citation. And then the compliance officer will actually call or schedule another visit with the employer to do a closing conference, which they'll cover a lot of the things that, like, here's what's going to happen next. And here's what you need to do to get yourself into compliance. And we're not necessarily supposed to try to give them advice on how to do that. Um, but there are times when we can share ideas, you know, stuff that we've seen in other places that may work. But technically, we don't come up with a solution to their problem. And then once they receive the citation, they have a certain amount of time that they can respond to us if they want to challenge it. Like if they feel like we, did a, that we didn't have all the information and they've got more that, that kind of supports why that things were the way they were and that they could think that it could potentially, maybe it was an employee misconduct kind of thing. If they've got the, the information that they can prove that, then they can set up what's called an informal conference, which is what exactly what it sounds like. They'll come in and meet with myself and our operations manager and just plead their case, basically. And we do take it seriously. And there's, there's times when we will throw out citations based on that information. So there's that option. There's also the option of getting lawyers and taking it to court, much more expensive route. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the bigger companies – let's say your Walmarts or whatever, they'll challenge it more often than not because they've got they can. lawyers yeah, on yeah. salary or whatever. And I mean, it's, it's totally their right. But just this is just an observation I was making as a compliance officer. They'll spend that much money on fighting a citation that's maybe $1,500. Yeah, you think it'd be better just to pay the fine, fix the problem, and move on? Yeah. With, yeah. Is, so yeah. Is it, are fines public? Are they trying to avoid something that... That's what I was that, gonna ask. Yeah. Like going on their permanent record? <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna go down on your permanent record. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. What's that from? <laughs> you don't know? No. Violent Femmes? This will go down on your permanent <laughs> record. Aaron, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was more of an MC Hammer kid myself. So. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> right. <Yeah. on. laughs> so the violent femmes were not something that I. Would, no, that's no, why that I didn't get it. That's why your... I don't know it either. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So, You're a Beastie Boys fan because you know the way you threw out it's tricky. That's the first thing I thought of. Was, yeah. 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 It's tricky, 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 tricky. Let's run DMC though. It, it, oh, it was. Yes. It was. Mm. That's right. <laughs> so full disclosure, I was also in the reggae band for 10 years oh i love Ooh. that lane base here in utah ah. it was a good time learned a lot <laughs> we well, should know why the equipment. bass players always sing with their mics jacked <laughs> up that's why and... i told you the answer to that question was <laughs> it's probably because somebody taller was there first because <laughs> <laughs> i am not tall and i had to do the adjust of shame uh, <laughs> of the microphone uh, all the time. Right. So rather than being seen at doing the adjust of shame, you just seeing up. Uh, I can think of his mic the, still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Luckily, I wasn't the lead singer. Luckily for everybody. Um, and I just played the bass. So yeah. Every once why, in a while. Why are there so many bass jokes, bass player jokes? You're not on social media, but on social media, 
It seems like the bass player gets all the the rubs. Why is that? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't okay because okay. I'm not on social media. I always thought it was a drummer. I always thought it was a drummer that was I like think, a problem. I think they moved band. on from the drummers. Yeah. So now the now bass the bass. Is, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they're maybe on he's the just bass. been sitting in the shadows so long yeah. that they're <laughs> like, okay, we got to get this Give guy. Give him some action. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so anyway, they can challenge their citations. Um, it is what it is when it ends up what it is. Uh, usually, when it goes to court, it takes a long time to get. Mm. Yeah. get to the end, but the judge doesn't always rule in, in Uwash's favor. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, maybe this isn't a number you talk about a lot, but, you know, people are, are always concerned about fines and these thousands of, you know, huge, huge amounts that, that people are getting fined. What what does the state take in or whoever gets paid to, like on a yearly basis? If we're talking about, you know, compliance officers and fines, what is that number? So I'm going to just give you the number that that I know. <laughs> I have a business analyst that handles all this. He he wrote our stats there. But it's in the area of about one point, well, it's between 900000 and just over a million dollars on average. Yeah. Now, that does not go directly to you, Osh. That's what I was going to ask. What is that money used for, Ben, or where does it go? We don't get any of it. It goes huh. into the general fund, the Utah general fund. So you guys aren't getting pay raises Based on how many uh, citations <laughs> and fines you're collecting, there's no quota, right? There, well, there is, there is, a, there is a, a requirement for us to do a certain amount of inspections yeah. every month because there's so many different types that you could do, and mainly that's just so one we're doing our jobs and two accountability for our co-shows. So, having gone to the working remote thing, we've actually been more productive than prior. We do miss getting together, though, because we're small enough that we're we kind of like a little family there, but yeah, we get together every once in a while. I mean, Back 19's to like a small family here in Utah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's like half of everybody didn't come for Christmas yeah. or something. That's only half of your family. Compliance versus uh, consultation. Mm-hmm. And BYU the sharing of company names. U of U. Yeah. <laughs> so consultation is exactly what it is. They're is a very, very strict rule that they don't talk to us about their cases and we don't talk to them about ours. Uh, we can't. And if we're on a, if a co-show shows up to do an inspection, but the employer is actually working with consultation at the time, depending on the situation, like if it's complaint or a accident, we may be able to do the inspection. But if they're already working with consultation, then we back off because we obviously they're working on it and we want to give them that opportunity. But consultation is there literally to do as little or as much as you want them to do. If you have a specific process that you're not 100% familiar on or whatever and you want to get there, we can come in and just address the process. But we can also go in and do a wall-to-wall and say, here's all the things that you can do to improve and get into compliance. And then they will issue, they're not citations. I forget the technical term, but it's basically like, here's one. Recommendation. Yeah. Recommendation. I could look up the the real term for it, but it basically is just a recommendation here. Take care of this. And they have, you know, they work with the employer on the time that takes. But if they identify like an imminent danger, like, you know, the lava metaphor, like they're you're, you're welcome. <laughs> like they're obligated, I would assume, to uh, you know, see something, say something to you know, compliance or to the employer. Like, hey, this person's gonna lose a finger if you don't put a guard on that. Sure. Like today. Yeah, and usually if it's like that, they still just they they address it there. They have to actually close whatever consultation visit case 
whatever you want to call it, before we can get, even approach them. Uh, and I say we, I mean consultation. I, mm-hmm. I'm still compliance officer in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we have some very, very experienced consultation people that were, all of them were compliance officers first yeah. for years. So they, they have the experience to come in and, and help. Yeah. And that's truly what they'll do if, if that's what you want. And you don't have to worry about all of a sudden, OSHA's going to show up at my door every week now. And mm-hmm. No, it doesn't work like that. What happens if, like, say, consultation comes in and gives them, you know, a handful of things or recommendations, and then six months later you get a complaint and compliance is in there? Do they ever look back and say, hey, six months ago we told you this was an issue? Is it escalated because of that? Or is are they truly just totally separate? He's going to say it depends. It yeah. depends. <laughs> that's, that's really the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that truly is the answer. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to depend on the situation. It's going to depend on all the different variables. So yeah, it's not likely, but again, depends. Depends on what it was or whatever. Yeah. I mean, to address the other question, question that you were talking about what would get a person shut down first of all it has to go through a judge to do that and really they just have to be egregious types of incidences so the first time i saw this happen was on ghostbusters yes and they brought him in and they shut it down remember that yeah yeah but he had a he had a like a warrant like he had the thing like he had to go through the whole process it took him a while to to get the the ghostbusters place shut down (laughs) yeah that's how it goes that's how it goes yeah okay some employers, everything they learn about safety, they learn from Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's reliable. <laughs> and realistic. Yeah. But yeah, we, if you're willingly or you have knowledge that you are actually hurting people, either slowly or just by exposure or whatever, we're obviously going to address it with a citation first, try to get them to, to correct the measure. If there's just no cooperation and they continue to do these things, that could that could end up in a situation where they're going to get shut down. Yeah. What about these companies? And I know they're out there because we give them awards every year that just are doing a, a great job with keeping their employees safe. They're you know they're the uh, they're the construction companies and manufacturing companies that are like the class cream of the crop. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like what are they doing right? Like in your experience, you know, with UWASH. What do those companies do right in regards to safety and something that, you know, every other employer could take from? First of all, thank you to those companies. Mm -hmm. Um, We really appreciate them. They do more good than they realize. And it's not just affecting their own people Mm -hmm. because people see it. And if you want to work with those people, sometimes you have to emulate and be like that. So thank you to those guys. I kind of consider those professionals my peers Mm -hmm. because we're all always learning, and we can share that information with each other. But just to that point, they take it serious, first of all. They take it serious. They understand the gravity of what someone losing a finger really means or somebody losing an arm or even somebody dying. They get that. Sadly, a lot of companies don't get it until somebody something happens at their place. And then a lot of times that'll switch their focus, and they develop a culture of safety. The, the thing is, is those companies have that safety mentality coming from the top down and they support the safety. And so their people are educated and they understand what's safe, what's not, what's a violation and what's not. And so it makes them all better. So they can see if I see John over there, he's going to cut his finger off. He doesn't, he's gotten complacent about his, his task of whatever he's doing. As an employee, I could walk over to him and, and say, look, this isn't safe and let's address it. And then hopefully John will address it. 
that's what I think is the key with those, those companies is everybody embraces that idea. They've established the culture. It yes. sounds like, yeah, yeah. It matters to them. You know, nobody ever goes to work saying, I, I hope I lose a finger today. That's just not the case. Nobody sends their spouse to work saying, I hope she doesn't come back. Hopefully that's not the case, yeah. but, but that's the reality of it sometimes. With more seasoned compliance officers, that's why they take it a little more seriously than, than maybe a younger one or, or somebody that doesn't have as much experience in it. Because they've seen these situations. They've talked to the employees, their friends, or the people or the person that got hurt or killed. Mm-hmm. And they're dealing with PTSD. You know, they're in shock or whatever because we get there if it's an accident or fatality pretty quickly. And we have to, you know, business owners. This was my best friend's son mm-hmm. kind of thing. Now he's going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Yeah. That's the reality of what we're talking about. That's the reality of safety. Yeah. I mean, even if you just lose a f- your index finger, think about that, how much that would change the way you operate through your day. Yes. Anecdotally, I watched my manager lose a finger. Well, I was on scene and she closed a giant door and said, and she's holding her hand without her finger and says, Brandon, go out and find my finger. I was working in grocery at the time, and I'm out looking for a finger. Um, never found it. I think someone else found it before me. But that has always stuck with me as far as, like, every time I close a door, and I was, like, 16 when that happened. But every time I go to work, and you think, you're right, it stays with you for, for life. You know, those tra- tragic and dramatic incidents, I guess, and it was, she just lost a finger. She was fine. She was at work the next day. But it was, I remember it still. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we had our Start With Safety uh, webinar a couple months back and Slade O'Pikins from R&O Construction. Uh, he, he is very passionate about, you know, safety and keeping his employees safe. And, I mean, you know, they've received our award of honor for, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 years now. And I think a lot of it is, because, you know, as president and even his predecessor, uh, you know, his father, they just they care more about safety than, you know, profitability and and I think, uh, you know, safety and, you know, we've, this has been the narrative in safety for a long time where profitability is going to come when you're investing in your employees and their safe and safety and well-being. But, I mean, he was in tears just, uh, you know, talking about how much they care and, you know, all the things they do to keep, uh, you know, their workforce safe. And, and funny enough, you know, they've grown into one of the you know, the premier employers, construction companies in Utah. And I think a lot of it has to do with their safety culture they've established over there. I remember from that too, um, that webinar that stuck with me is he said, you know, Cesar, Calvillo, their safety person, they switched it up. So he reports directly to, you know, top management that he's part of that executive management team. And I think that's important too, right? Like it's, it's important on their level and the employees all see that. And so I think they made that switch and, and he said that's made a difference in their organization too. That's fantastic. I didn't know that they had done that. Safety. Yeah. Safety has a voice in the executive room. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. But it's like you say, you know, coming from a perspective of somebody that was out there walking forms that are 20 feet off the ground or you know 20 feet tall with no safety protection in place, trying to hold a concrete pump within that eight inch <laughs> foundation oh, yeah. wall thing. You know, the only the only prayer you have is if something happens, you grab a hold of that pump and not fall. Coming from a from a situation where that was like, if you don't do it, you're not tough. 
or you're not you're not cut out for this kind of work or whatever. They, there was a lot of shaming that went on when it comes to safety. Mm. But that mentality has definitely shifted, especially in the construction industry. But I think you see where you see the most incidents or accidents typically is the ones, the companies that are the little companies getting started, or they're the companies that are at that point where they're too big to be little, but are trying to make that transition to the bigger company kind of mm-hmm. thing, if that makes any sense yeah. at all. Yeah, and it it just comes down to money a lot of times too. Yeah, they Time, should teach money. safety in business classes. They really should. I don't know if they do. Yeah, I they say don't. that. I, I say that like I'm assuming they don't. But well, they, yeah, they should. They should send people like you there. I'm like, why do they? Not that I know. Of. I had a safety course in construction, my management course. But personally, I think if you're going to have a business license and you're going to employ people, you should have some sort of understanding of what's required. Well, let's talk about that. You know, uh, I mean, there's a difference between OSHA and MSHA. What's, what's the difference, Brandy? OSHA and MSHA. <laughs> like we and- here at the Safety Council, we are quite busy with uh, training employees that work in the mining industry. And uh, in Utah, there's about 9,000 employees that work in mining for 545 employers. Conversely, in the state of Utah, there is, in construction and manufacturing, 270 employees, uh, 19,000 employers. And uh, the MSHOP people keep us a lot busier than the construction and manufacturing people. And it's because MSHOP has a lot of required trainings that employers, employees have to have before they show up to a mine site. Why is that not the case uh, when an employee shows up to a construction site, heck, them they can just show up. You know, they're given their tool belt without any sort of formal training ahead of time. I mean, that's that's a good question. And a lot of times, it just comes down to the same old thing: yeah. time and money. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was years ago, but here we got a ton of people trying to take our OSHA tens when Nevada made it a requirement to to do some work. I don't I don't remember all the specifics about it, but they couldn't get enough training there, so they were coming to other states and and we were slammed. So I mean, would Utah ever require that to to be able to go to work in construction or, you know, whatever? Yeah, you know, it's it, uh, we're throwing a bunch of stuff at you and I know that <laughs> <laughs> answers. Yeah. Give us the answers. I mean, but in the last UOSH advisory board meeting, uh I don't remember who made the statement, but it's my understanding just based on that meeting that even UDOT, Utah Department of Transportation, they're requiring their contractors on their projects, their employees take either an OSHA 10 or an OSHA 30 class before they report to work. Is that That's a good thing. That's a step in the right direction. Well, and I think that's where it's going to come from because Ewash, I mean, we, we live in a pretty conservative state, right? And we don't, as much as we want people to be safe, you know, if it's going to be a law, it's got to go through legislature and everything. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that that has been brought up before. Uh, to what end, obviously, we don't know. Yeah. But I mean, there's, you brought up the legislature. There's been 18 deaths in Utah in 2022 from, you know, workplace accidents. Is that enough? dead people for the state legislature to, you know, take attention and note and do something about it? Or do more people need to die before the state legislature gets involved and does something? That sounds pretty harsh, but... I mean, that's the question we all ask, right? Yeah. That's the question we all ask. I don't know. And that's truly the answer. I I would like to think that I could make a difference in that. And I try to do that every day. We do, as a division. We do... 
our darndest <laughs> yeah. to keep it family yeah. friendly here. <laughs> well, and it's like 18, right? In the whole scheme of numbers, that's not very many. But if that's one of the worry. 18 is yours, it changes your world. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's just the sad part. Yeah, one, one's one too many. And then is 18 average? Does this happen every year? I, I mean... You tell you tell us, Floyd, is eighteen a lot in one year com- comparatively? Well, I think I agree with with you. I think one is too many. Um, but I think the the bigger picture of those statistics is that the population has grown such that the eighteen is actually pretty on par with what's typically a year. Yeah, between one and two. But as far as you, Washington's concerned, eighteen is an unacceptable number, and you'll continue to hammer down the good deeds to try to get that number to zero. I mean, that's the goal. That's that's our hope. But I I really do think that the real difference comes from the actual employers. Yeah, taking that as a priority and and really embracing it. Is it true that um you know when say construction companies are trying to win a bid or whatnot? Does safety training play a role into who who gets that bid or who gets that funding? Like That's your EMOD score and I'm like, not. you know, some people will say, I've told, told me over the years, right, you know, our buildings, we're installing AEDs because we're safer. And we're just trying every little thing, right, to be more safe or more competitive than, you know, their competitor. And I guess my question is, does safety play a role in that kind of thing? Well, I can tell you right now that, in construction, it does matter to a lot of the big players and a lot of the small ones. It does play a role in the fact that, you know, sometimes they'll look at, a, say, a roofing company. I'm just pulling those out because they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. If they've got a bunch of citations for people being unsafe, clearly your, your contractor doesn't want to take that risk on their job site because then that becomes their responsibility as well. So it does play a factor in um, and when you were asking about, does it go on their permanent record? Um, that's why people don't want to get those citations because it will become public information. And, you know, you could go to OSHA.gov and, and look it up if you wanted to. But yeah, I think that uh, they all, they all, I think they all process it a little, little differently. But yeah. but for the most part, that is a consideration they take into. Because they got to obviously pay for all the, it, it costs extra to do safety right. Yeah. Let's just be honest. Yeah, it does. But if you plan that into your your estimates, and your, hopefully they'll still be okay with that and get the get the bid. Well, safety costs, but when it goes wrong, it, it also costs, more. costs yeah. a lot yep. more. Yeah, that's the business part of it that they should be teaching in these mm-hmm. uh, classes, right? Is uh, it's an it's an investment up front, but it's uh, savings in the long run. Yeah, you might spend a thousand bucks on stuff to make railings, so nobody falls off balconies or stairs on their yeah daily yeah. work but then somebody does and then all of a sudden you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars that mm-hmm. you're I almost wish that there was a way so that when you register a new business like an LLC or something that you get sent the pamphlet that talks about this kind of a thing uh, because how do you track independent contractors you just start and they're self-employed or something at first and then they finally start hiring people and I think they're focused so much on growing their business they're not really when when at what point do they address the safety it depends Hopefully right up front. I mean, that's that's the answer we want. But it's an investment, right? It like is we an said, investment. and so it's hard to for small companies to decide where to put their dollars. Personally, and this is just my own opinion. This is not OSHA or UOSH. Personally, I feel like I had that same that same thought. Like, why isn't it a requirement if you're going to get a contractor's license to go through a course that's more than ten hours to understand, especially the industry that you're going into, what is required to be safe? 
and keep your people healthy. As I started going on in my career, I started looking for places that that was a priority to them because it was a priority to me. I wanted to make sure I was safe and I didn't want them putting me in a situation where I had to choose safety or my job. So I think is that that's the kind of culture that's kind of growing here in Utah and people are trying to expect it. But the education part of that is really the key is sometimes these kids, these kids in high school come out and start working immediately. Maybe it's their family business or something. Mm-hmm. They have no idea. Anything's fair game. But in reality, you know, there are, there are laws. Yeah. So I really, I think Cameron had some thoughts about hoping to get in somebody getting into like CTE courses and high schools, especially like in shop courses or whatever, and, and do an OSHA class just so that people understand that they do have rights and they don't have to put themselves in a life or death situation. Yeah. Top 10 violations issued by you, Wash. Any guesses on what's number one in all industries, construction, manufacturing, public sector? You don't get a guess, Floyd. <laughs> which industry or which? what's the violation? The violation itself. Falls. Fall protection. Yeah. yeah. Fall protection, lockout, tag out, powered industrial trucks, machine guarding, fall protection, respiratory protection, scaffolds, hazard communication, ladders, and reporting. And then you look at the 18 deaths. I mean, a big, more than half of them have been caused by a fall. Well, how? what is the state of safety in Utah Floyd, like, tell us that. How's Utah doing comparatively year over year over year? Are we getting safer or less safe? I know the population's growing, so, right, you're going to, you get more people in the workforce. Just makes sense you're going to get more accidents and injuries, but um, are we keeping it in check and and doing well? You know, I think for the most part, Utah does a really good job, and I think that's independent of UWASH. You know, people are, this is a pretty family-oriented state. And so things like that matter to people. Like I said, you get some of the bad eggs sometimes. But I think for the most part, these numbers are calculated to every Mm 100,000 population, right? So uh, like you said, as, as, as we grow, obviously the numbers grow on accidents and things. You know, it's crazy. You, you would expect, you know, most of your accidents and injuries coming from the construction and manufacturing uh, industry, but uh, I'm always surprised or am surprised to see the amount of injuries and accidents that happen in healthcare and social services. Like, what's going on in hospitals? Why are so many people getting hurt at hospitals? That's like a hazardous place to work, you would think. <laughs> like, one of the most hazardous jobs to have is working at a hospital. As a nurse, there's a lot of instances where the patient will attack the nurse. And because they're at work, it falls under our jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I think outside of possibly having a baby, right, that's a happy thing to be in a hospital for. But you're usually not in the hospital for a good time, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, like, it's kind of like a stressful situation. So. Have there been any marketing people <laughs> that work for hospitals like, you know, let's change it. <laughs> Come to McKady Hospital for a good time. No, but I would have friends that would <laughs> want to go to their, food court. their cafeteria. <laughs> yeah, because their it, food is yes, good. Yes, it actually is so, good. But uh, yeah, but it's like a stressful situation, right, on on everybody's end. And so there's just so many ways to get hurt, I guess. Working tensions in a hospital. are running high. Yeah. And, well, and then you, you can get stuck with needles. You yeah. can get exposed to chemicals. You can slip and fall. I mean, it's, it's yeah. that runs a gamut. Yeah. But I think by far the most 
dangerous one is actually the patient because they can sometimes do the most harm. Does that happen a lot where patients are assaulting, uh, you know, their caretakers in a healthcare setting? I can't tell you what the average is on an on a industry basis, but I will tell you that I've seen a surprisingly, it surprises me how many I've seen just in this role wow. come through. I didn't think it was that high and, and, and frequent, which, you know, it was, I don't know, less than 10 in the past six months, but Mm. You get what I'm saying. It's, it's sure. just, I didn't realize how dangerous that was. Yeah. Well, it happens a lot on Grey's Anatomy, and that's a direct <laughs> reflection of reality. So, yeah. Seems like In you watch hospital. a lot of TV. And you would think, but yeah. I just remember a lot. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy's been on as long as I've been alive, I feel like. Probably. Yeah. yeah. All the bad habits that these doctors and nurses have. <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, well, I'm running out of questions, Floyd, but I do want to ask you, you know, uh, you made a statement uh, the last time we met that uh, your legacy project you uh, UWASH is to offer all the classes and um, the website, the UWASH website in Spanish. So that's, uh, tell us about that. Why and, and what's your passion and um, your goals for that? The why is more important to me. My mom was an immigrant from Tonga, mm-hmm. and all my Tongan peeps out there are going to get mad at me for saying Tonga. It's Tonga. That's how you pronounce it. Say it again. Tonga. So there you go, guys. <laughs> <laughs> she came from Tonga back in 65. She had, a, she had a sixth grade education, and she ended up marrying my dad pretty young, having kids, and then he leaves when we... And there's six boys. And wow. so... My mom actually put him through school, working three jobs, and when he graduated, that's when he left. Hmm. So I got to experience firsthand what that is for an immigrant to come over and not speak the language, not know that they have rights as an employee, be afraid to say anything, thinking that they'll get fired. Um, and, And I'm sorry, Utah, but there is still a race problem. Being treated differently because you're not from the United States. All of those factors combined and thinking that they could pay people less because they're they're not from utah or not from the u.s so i saw the impact that it had on my mom which obviously rippled out to us and the people around us i really do feel like if she had more information and better access to it that that could have been a little different i don't know that it would changed everything Mm mm-hmm but at least she would have known when her employer was taking advantage of her or when she was supposed to get overtime and didn't. Or, yeah. you know, you don't have to go in there with the chemicals and whatnot and try to scrub whatever it is you're scrubbing. Yeah. So the point you're making, and, and I just want to highlight this, that if you're an undocumented worker in Utah working in an unsafe environment, they, they don't forfeit their right to a safe and healthy work environment because they're not a citizen. And UWASH doesn't care their uh, their citizen status. Like, you just want to keep them safe. And so uh, would you encourage, you know, an undocumented worker to still, uh, you know, if they're working in an environment that is unsafe, imminent danger, like, they should still report it and seek the help of UWASH and, and not fear of being deported or... I mean, I, I think you said it perfectly, yeah. We don't deal with any of the immigration things. We treat every worker as a worker. They're all equal to us. Um, and so I just wanted... Because we do have a big Spanish population here. Um, I wanted it to be available, at least in that 
language to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day when, <laughs> when the state opens up the coffers, they'll make it available in more languages. I don't know, but we need to start somewhere. Yeah. And that's kind of where I thought we could start and start making a difference at least. Are you getting support for that over there at UOSH? For- uh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, the commissioner was the one that asked me, what What do you want to be your legacy project, basically, is kind mm-hmm. of what it is. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I took, took a while to really think about that. And that's that's what I came up with. I feel like we need to be fair to everybody. We're not. We're we're doing everybody a disservice. It's pretty hypocritical if we're not, right? Right. And yeah. That's very admirable. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm going to do some more crying over here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been awesome, uh, Floyd. Uh, you've uh, uh, like you've you've been parlaying all of our questions very good, and um, geez, you've been a wonderful guest and full of knowledge. And do you guys have any parting questions before I wrap this up? No, How's I, Chris Hill doing? Not to cut you off, but you know, Chris Hill. <laughs> he's the, he's a general counsel over there at the Labor Commission and uh, um, on our board of directors and. Um, I just want to make sure he's okay because with this whole COVID thing and rules and laws and this and that, like uh, his world has been crazy the last few years. So it definitely has, but he's he's hung in there like a champ. Just give him a big tongue and hug <laughs> when you see him next for us. Well, he's much taller than I am, so it's kind of. Like, <laughs> I you should have it's someone awkward. record that because yeah. that might go viral. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Same for the commissioner. He's, yeah, he's also a very big man. So. Oh, yeah, he's one of the biggest. Yeah, he's a big. He's a he's a big man. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a giant. Jeez. Yeah, I, I already have a thing about dads anyway so <laughs> when that father figured the big guys yeah uh, yeah it's weird for me <laughs> Flat, i just think more people need to hear you and hear the hear the answers and so besides this podcast or someone listening to this podcast where can they go to find some of the answers that you provide for your, the services there we have a website definitely everybody has access to it again i'm trying to get it translated in spanish but a lot of the I mean, pretty much everything that you guys have asked me is all on there. If you just Google UWASH, they'll you'll, you'll find get it. you and yeah. the phone numbers. And UWASH works uh, under or in the labor, Utah's Labor Commission right. department division. So the, the Utah Labor Commission has several different divisions, and ours mm-hmm. is just one of those divisions. Very good. When you get to the site, you'll if you want to know about UWASH, you just follow that. And they Linked. can just they can just track you down that way, unless you want to offer up like your personal cell phone number, your home address. <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel really warm right now, so. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything the safety council can do to be better partners with you all? You know, I just think these, especially with your outreach stuff that you do for M. Shaw and everybody else, your ten-hour courses, you guys are such a valuable player to us because you get to come at it from a different angle. It's it's like mom telling you to not play outside in the street in one ear out the other. Mm. But, you know, sometimes when a neighbor or a friend says, we need to get out of the street. Yeah. So I think that, and that's probably a bad analogy, but we really value what you guys do here and just keep doing it. And if there's stuff that I can help with or any of my people can help with, please don't ever hesitate to ask. And I'll not leave you hanging like I did for this podcast first time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about owning my mistakes. <laughs> 
Well, I did send everybody a confirmation email yesterday just to make sure that we're all on the same page. So I was like, oh, good, John. He's on it. He doesn't want to repeat. <laughs> well, and I think, uh, you know, to your point, I think Brandy, you know, in her 20-year career, she'll, she'll also – I don't know if concedes the right work, but at least agree that, you know, the safety councils were just a piece of, you know, the safety culture in Utah. I mean, there's the Rocky Mountain OSHA Center and UWASH and every, you know, safety manager. I mean, it takes a whole village of safety professionals to, you know, keep this thing going and to keep Utah safe. And yeah, we're just, uh, you know, proud and honored to be just a part of that um, machine that, you know, we all are passionate about to, you know, help our other Utahns stay safe and, you know, go home to their families every day and every night. Well, and I think if we want to take it down to the individual level, what people can do is if you see something, don't just sit there and watch it and pull out your phone and record it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me that never happens. Go happens all the time in Yellowstone. Ask questions. We get eaten by a bear. We should film it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't understand those videos, but. Yeah. Whatever. But if you do, like, we all go home at night. Half the time, there's construction going on somewhere, even in our own neighborhoods. And if we see something, you know, it's not a bad idea to make a phone call to even to the general contractor on the that job. Just say, hey, here I noticed this. Yeah. That goes a long way. Yeah. People don't realize. Yeah. We all, like you said, the village. It's 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 a it's a group effort for sure. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys inviting me here. Yeah, it's well, fun. I feel like we needed to have you. I mean, the Labor Commission's our big sponsor of the Utah <laughs> Safety Council Speaking Up for Safety podcast. So we're definitely appreciative of uh, you and your colleagues over there at the Utah Labor Commission. We couldn't love them more. Uh, we, we appreciate the, the support, specifically the financial support. <laughs> For this and the conference and everything that we do over here. So And John is being sincere right now. I, I am being tell. sincere. I really am being sincere. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love having you guys. I never know how to end these things, you, Brandon. You just tell them thanks. Thank you, Floyd. Thank, Thank you, John. <laughs> thanks, Floyd. <laughs> thanks, and uh mic drop and <laughs> bonk. Great job, guys. <laughs>